Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Heather Tremaine. Heather Tremaine is the CEO of Options for Homes, a nonprofit condo developer that helps people achieve their dream of home ownership by passing along cost savings and down payment support. Since joining Options for Home, Heather has become a tireless champion and the national voice of affordable home ownership and its value. She has helped achieve beneficial changes to both public policy and funding in support of this segment of the Canadian housing spectrum. In my interview with Heather, we discuss what is a shared equity mortgage and how does it differ from a traditional mortgage, pros and cons of the first-time home buyer incentive and whether it will help home buyers in Toronto and Vancouver. Without further ado, here's my interview with Heather Tremaine. Hi Heather, how are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Uh, looking forward to discussing shared equity mortgages on the podcast today and the first-time home buyer incentive. It's not a topic that we've covered, so let's get started. Heather, can you explain to the listeners What is a shared equity mortgage and how does it differ from a traditional mortgage? Yeah, sure. So shared equity mortgages, I mean, we've been doing them now for 25 years at Options for Homes, where I work. And the idea behind a shared equity mortgage, it's a vehicle to provide down payment support for someone who wants to purchase. In our case, we typically provide people with 10 to 15% of the value of the home, and that bolsters their down payment in effect. So a purchaser is putting down 5%, we're usually providing 10 to 15%, and that essentially forms somebody's down payment. The portion that we provide, we secure with a second mortgage. So a mortgage that sits in behind their conventional lender. And in addition, obviously, they've got that down payment of, let's say, 20%. And then someone's going out to a conventional bank or lender and getting a first mortgage, a traditional, more conventional mortgage. So that's sort of the structure, if you will, of a purchase. And with a shared equity mortgage, in our case, you are not making a payment on that mortgage while it's in place. It means that you can have a lower income to purchase a unit or home than you would traditionally have if you had to support 95% of the value of that home with a mortgage. So that mortgage is what we refer to as silent. So you're not paying on a monthly basis to support that mortgage. And the way that you do pay is that when you sell the unit, in this case, you would return 15% of the appreciation to us. So you're returning the principal plus 15% of any increase in value in the unit comes back to us. And then the value 
of everything that the purchaser has supported through their down payment and their first mortgage, all of that appreciation flows to the purchaser. So that's the bit bigger than a nutshell, but that's the essence of a shared equity mortgage. Well, thanks for explaining it so clearly. And just curious, so when you're qualifying for the mortgage, you mentioned that with the shared equity mortgage, it's technically a second position. When somebody goes to a traditional lender to qualify for a mortgage, you mentioned that the shared equity mortgage, you don't have to make any payment on it until you sell the property. Does that mortgage debt get counted and reduce the amount that they qualify for? Or because it's not in payment, it doesn't really hurt their qualifying for a property? It doesn't hurt. In, in our model, it doesn't hurt their qualifying. It's treated as equities. We are a condominium developer, a nonprofit condominium developer. So our program is approved through CMHC and through a program called Flexibilities. What that allows is for the banks to consider the funds that we are providing as part of somebody's down payment as considered equity. In that way, it doesn't impact what people can borrow they need to qualify for a significant enough mortgage to cover off the rest of their unit, but it's not considered debt in this case. So it's not factored into their debt service ratio. That's great to hear. And certainly with the stress test these days, it makes it more challenging to qualify. So I'm I'm sure the shared equity mortgage model definitely helps people there. Yeah, it certainly does. And, And what you're also seeing in different municipalities. So we work a lot with the city of Toronto and they're also willing to work with us and in some cases defer people's development charges. We bundle that all into a shared equity mortgage that that we administer. So there's also within these shared equity mortgages, there's ways for other participants to engage to ideally lower the ratio that people have to take in terms of their first mortgage. That makes sense. That's great to hear. So thanks again for explaining that. Now, the first-time homebuyer incentive is a shared equity mortgage, but the difference is that it's offered by the federal government. Mm-hmm. Could you just, just kind of provide us with a brief overview of how the first-time homebuyer incentive works and how the federal government has structured it? It's interesting because the first-time homebuyers incentive program was actually designed based on our program. We received a couple of calls when this was announced in March saying, you know, we've really based this on your program, the success of the program that we've had. And so we did work with CMHC as they began to roll this out in more detail, but there's some components that are similar to ours and some that are different. It is similar to ours in that there is a share in the appreciation in the unit. In this case, the maximum amount that the federal government will lend is 10%, in which case if they would share in 10% of the appreciation in a unit. And they also, like us, will take part in the downside. If there is a downside, if the market were to drop and that unit were to decrease in value, then they are also willing to participate in any downside. The big difference with the CMHC program, the the federal government program, is that it has a maximum qualifying income. The maximum income you can have is $120,000. And then the maximum total borrowing is four times that. Let's say you earn $120,000. The maximum that you can borrow is $480,000. And that includes the money from the federal government in addition to whatever first mortgage you have. 
it's a more restricted program. It's also only for first-time purchasers. So those are some of the other restrictions that you see in this. The other thing that they have done is that you have to have 5% down on your unit, which is the same as our program. Your down payment can be a maximum of 19.99%. You still are required to pay mortgage insurance on that unit. Our program is set up so that on the assumption we're providing 15% and you have to have that 5% down, you do not require mortgage insurance. That is the program and it's a little bit different, as I say, than the program that we've been running. Well, it's interesting, the slight variances. I guess it was set up that way for a reason and certainly, I mean, by taking the incentive, I would think that you would save paying mortgage default insurance over the life of your mortgage since you're taking out like a smaller first mortgage. So, I mean, I guess there are savings to be had there and we'll go over that in the next question. Thanks for sharing that insight with me. It's interesting to hear that they modeled it off of your program there. So, mm-hmm. and as, as you mentioned, you know, shared equity mortgages certainly aren't a new thing, but I guess it's just more recently they've come into the mainstream. My understanding is that BC tried some sort of shared equity model and it didn't work out so well there. Do you have any insight in, into that? I don't know all the ins and outs of the program in BC. I do know that they were providing a kind of, I think it was up to $35,000 in funding. And I think the concern around that program was that it was going to fuel a market that was already overfueled. My understanding is that it was kind of scaled back because it was really driving additional demand in the marketplace. Whereas I think the all the considerations around the federal program, the fact that you have to be a first-time purchaser, there is a maximum income, there's a cap on really on the value of what you can borrow. So that sort of sets the cap on the unit. All of those factors are going to mean that there's going to be very limited impact on demand in the marketplace. And I think CMHC did a study that said it would be about a 0.2 to 0.4% increase in demand that the program would create. Those are some of the differences, again, that I think there was definitely concern. It was significant down payment support in the BC program in a really, at the time, was a very, very hot market. Great. Thanks for sharing your insight on that. So that leads perfectly into my next question. So Heather, could you talk a bit about the pros and cons of the first-time homebuyer incentive and shared equity mortgages in general as well? Obviously, the very big pro of the first-time homebuyers program or a shared equity program is that it helps people get into the market who may not be able to get into the market. So if you've been able to save the 5% down, then this gives you this opportunity at either a lower income level than you would need to be to purchase the same unit, or you're going to spend less time saving to get to a 20% or a more significant down payment, which the problem right now is that people can't save at the same rate that the market has been escalating. So this really gets people into the market quicker or allows access into the market for a number of people who wouldn't be able to get into the market, particularly someone who doesn't have the benefit of a parent or family member or kind of benefactor who's going to help them with that down payment. So I think those are the pros of a shared equity mortgage. You know, we have people who purchase with us and then when they go to sell, they come back and they're like, oh, well, I can't believe I have to share this money with you. (laughs) But, 
you know, ironically, they would not have been able to purchase the unit and they would not have had the equity gain without that support. I mean, I think some people look at it and say, oh, I have to share this equity with you, this appreciation. But the reality is, if you couldn't afford the market to to purchase, you would have been in a rental and you would not have had that appreciation at the end of the day. Yes, you don't get all the gains of the market the way someone who has a full down payment does, but you get an opportunity that you wouldn't get otherwise. So those are some of the, I would say, pros and perceived cons of a shared equity program. There's no sort of restrictions. There aren't a lot of other restrictions in the program. We do require people to live in their units. If you decide you're going to rent the unit, then in effect, you've become an investor and you need to pay us back that investment because that's not our mission is to support people becoming real estate investors. That may be perceived as a downside, but it is really to ensure that any funds that are provided really support to people to be homeowners and to be tenants in that building. Yeah, and you raised some very interesting points there and kind of got me thinking, if it wasn't for CMHC and Genworth and these other mortgage insurance providers, then I would think that the minimum down payment would be 20%. And I mean, I guess people like to grumble about paying mortgage default insurance, but the thing is that helps them get into the real estate market sooner rather than later. Everyone had to come up with a 20% down payment, then it would take people quite a long time to get into the real estate market, especially in expensive markets like Toronto and Vancouver. And I guess I kind of see shared equity mortgages a similar way as paying like mortgage default insurance. I mean, it's kind of a cost involved in home ownership, but you're getting into the real estate market sooner rather than later. So you can start building up that equity and you may have to share some of that, but you know, at least you're in the market sooner rather than later. You can take advantage and and kind of, you know, build up that equity to move on to a more expensive property later on, if that's kind of your game plan. Yeah. Or one that suits your family needs. Like we've seen a lot of people who've moved into properties and now they bought a small one bedroom, they've moved up and now they've moved into a townhouse or a single family in some cases. It's getting you into the real estate space and that's the big benefit of it, obviously. Yes, and I've heard an argument. Some people say that the first-time home buyer incentive is a bit convoluted, and it would just make more sense to allow insured mortgages to have a 30-year amortization. What would you say to that argument, Heather? I mean, that's not the approach that the federal government has taken. What kind of is your preferred approach, and would you say to people that preferred the 30-year amortization instead? Well, I think the reality in the 30-year amortization is that people typically are not paying down their principal that significantly. My guess is, without having analyzed it, your equity gains are going to be much less in a 30-year mortgage situation. It would be interesting to analyze in which one you would come out better. Those first number of years in first one of our five or seven years in a 30-year mortgage situation, you're not paying down that mortgage that significantly. That would be my kind of question. Whereas ours are kind of a shorter term, you are starting, you're paying it down more quickly. And yes, you are losing some portion of the equity of the appreciation. But the thing that I always remind people of is you're getting all the equity on the portion of your unit that you have supported. So you put a 5% down payment, you had an 80% first mortgage, you're getting the appreciation on everything that you supported. 
So presumably in a 30-year AM, they're still having to support it all. They may well be in a position where they own a smaller unit or a kind of less expensive unit. I think those would be my considerations in that. But I think it would be interesting to take a look at that and see which one makes more sense. One of the values, I think, in a shared equity program, particularly in a place like Toronto, where we work in partnership with the City of Toronto, the value of the second mortgages we're providing in some projects exceed $120,000 in second mortgage on a, say, a three-bedroom unit. So you've got a family-sized unit where the family income maybe is $120,000 or $130,000 to qualify for that unit. But it's only because we've got that additional support of a municipality that's going to get somebody into the right-sized unit for their family situation. And, you know, the 30-year AM isn't going to help with that to the same extent. That's a great point. Thanks so much for raising that. Following up on my last question, just a general question for you. Who does the first-time homebuyer incentive make most sense for and who doesn't it make sense for? So I think it makes the most sense for someone who is the good saver. So they've been able to save that 5%, but maybe who don't have a huge income and probably do not have family support or someone else who can help them with that down payment. So they're in a position where they're able to save, they've got a good steady income, and maybe it's not a high income, but it's, you know, a kind of moderate income. I think that's the demographic that we really look for. Sometimes it's people who also have a child in daycare. So it's a young family. They have you know, significant commitments like a child in daycare or they're taking care of another family member. They have the means to support that mortgage. But the second mortgage and that difference makes it viable and comfortable for them to get into that unit. I think if you have other support from another source, this might not make the most sense for you because you would be foregoing the appreciation at a later date. That maybe if your parents were to, to choose to provide the funds to you and they were willing to do it on different terms or better terms, then I think that it makes more sense for you probably to go a different route. As I say, it's for people who maybe don't have those other supports in place with for a down payment. Yes, uh, not everyone's fortunate enough to have the bank of mom and dad. And sometimes parents can't afford to write you a check for a down payment. And perhaps they might not be in the financial position to co-sign on a mortgage for you. It might not make sense, but they can help you out in other ways, like letting you live at home and charge you a low market value rent, or even let you live at home rent free. They can help you save money, but it might not be able to help you enough to get into the property that you'd like to get into. So certainly I think for individuals like that, that don't have that level of support that they need from family, then certainly the shared equity mortgage is is worth consideration. I think so. I absolutely think so. The federal government announced a tweak to the first-time homebuyer incentive in more costly real estate markets. Can you discuss the change and will it actually help homebuyers in cities like Toronto, Vancouver, and Victoria where they've announced this tweak? Yeah, so it wasn't the federal government that announced it. It was a Liberal Party announced that as part of their platform for the current election, that they would increase 
the threshold for the maximum purchase. And the maximum purchase, I believe, is over $800,000. So that will make a big difference in places like Toronto or Vancouver, where the initial threshold was $500,000 for a property. And that is a tough threshold in a major city now. I mean, we had a couple of units. We still had some units for sale in the city of Toronto that met that threshold, but they were quite limited. And there weren't that many other on the market. And I think at one point I talked to somebody who had done the scan and said that there were two units in just outside of Vancouver and Burnaby that met that requirement. So this will open up the potential for the first time home buyers program to a much more significant market. I think initially the the idea was that it would be sort of the outer rings of Vancouver and Toronto that would where it would still be applicable, but this obviously brings you in closer into the heart of the city in both of those markets in terms of eligibility for units. Yeah, I was definitely happy to hear that announcement because the biggest challenge for affording properties is, as you mentioned, in Toronto and Vancouver. And when I looked at the maximum purchase price with the original announcement of the incentive, it was just, as you mentioned, very limited. So this is certainly a welcome addition to the program. And I guess presuming the Liberals win the election, then this will go through if they follow through with their promise. But yeah, I mean, this definitely seems promising and would certainly help people in Toronto and Vancouver because, as you mentioned, Getting a property for under $500,000 in those markets is, is not an easy feat, that's for sure. So this certainly helps a lot, in my opinion. I think both of those cities are concerned about retaining talent. And I think for a lot of people, it, they are interested in becoming home buyers. But if they can't, then they, they move out to the suburbs to qualify. They have long commute times or, you know, you're starting to see a lot of people move to, I, I'm not sure that we've done it yet, the study yet in Canada, but in the States, you're seeing people move to these secondary markets. And so the these urban centers are now having a hard time retaining the talent that actually, that drove them to begin with and will drive them in the future in terms of competitiveness. And so it's not a good thing for cities when you start to see this kind of brain bleed happening. I think it will be a positive thing to both of those cities and markets. No, I agree. And thanks so much for raising that point. Yes, Heather, it's been great having you on the show. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Right now, we're quite seriously working away on a number of projects. So we have a project in the market right now in in the Toronto area called the Humber, which is right on the Humber River. And we're about to bring kind of later next year, we'll bring to market another site in Scarborough that's got about 600 units. So our big focus right now is kind of continuing to deliver units into the Toronto marketplace to really address what is quite a critical housing need here got five or six projects in the pipeline that are starting to click along that people people who live in Toronto will start to see come to market shortly. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation.
Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning. <laughs>